inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! They win it! Michael Jordan hits it at the foul line. One to 100. Lead pass. Whoa! Stop it! Stop it! Don't do it like that! What are you doing, Dragons? Did you not get the memo? Derrick Rose can go upstairs. I want to go higher! Oh my goodness, Rose. Rose crosses over the fadeaway. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode six of the Three Alphas podcast. My name is Joe, and I'm joined by my two teammates, Dan Meehan and Ross Reed. What's up, boys? What's up? Good afternoon, gents. How we doing? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Yes, sir. Happy Sunday fun day. It's beautiful out. We got, what, it's clear and sunny out here in Chicago with like 76 degrees is the high. Mm-hmm. Beautiful mm-hmm. outside. 76 is a high up there, so I'm down in Bloomington, Illinois, visiting my parents during this uh, quarantine lockdown. And I think yesterday it was like 88, 89. I think it's mid 80s right now. So I wonder if you, I wonder if you guys have the like the lakefront cool effect. Going the lake on. effect, yeah, definitely, definitely do. Man, 76 sounds awesome though. Well, we're gonna keep this one short and sweet uh, because there's not a ton of Bulls news going on. Uh, But we're going to get into the NBA officially starting back up and the Bulls not being in the playoff picture. Thank God. Uh, We're going to (laughs) talk. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Arturis Karnaschovas making his way to Chicago and watching film with Jim Boylan before the show. We were kind of discussing how funny that would be. And lastly, we're going to get into the Joe Cowley rumor, which isn't really surprising because Adrian Griffin and Ime Udoka were the the two main names on the list for head coaching candidates. So those are going to be the three topics and then a little bonus question at the end. So let's kick it off. And I, Joe, just before we get into it, um, just cause he was such a phenomenon in terms of culture. Oh, yeah. Any, any, any on is, dates? It's yeah, it's on this date. It's a uh, not on this date, but it is AI's 45th birthday today. So nice. happy 45 to AI. Most, I mean, one, most, the, one of the most iconic moments was him stepping over Tyron Lue. I mean, he, I mean, but in terms of for me, like obviously the cultural worldwide impact Jordan had, as we've talked about it, nausea in the past few episodes, like, but like for my generation, I'll be 30 this year, as I've said a couple of times on the show, like the stuff AI did, like the headband, the little finger sleeves on his left hand, the arm sleeve, the, the you know, the baggy shorts, the, there's even the jersey itself, I think was a bit too big on but it's just how he played, like, and how he kind of inspired how a, a generation of players growing up dressed and the stuff they wore. So I remember him being pretty big culturally, at least for basketball players of my of my generation. First basketball shoes I ever got actually were, were Jordans, but the second ones were Iversons. You know, the, the, 
Little like the honey, the, the honeycombs at the and the heel. Yeah. Question yeah. for you guys before we kick them off. Some work on it. Um, who do you think brought a worse team to the finals? Iverson with like Eric, Eric Snow, Aaron McKee, and that squad, or LeBron and the Cavs? I mean, LeBron had Zendrunas on that first one, right? Yep. Yeah. So he has Yeah, I think it's LeBron. He brought the better one or the worst one? He brought the worst one. The worst one? team. That yeah. 76ers team was not that terrible. Like, you know, they still had Dikemi Mutombo playing at a pretty high level there. Like, they had Eric they, Snow, too, didn't they? Eric Snow was on the team. Was George Lynch true. was on the team. Was Ratliff um, on that team, Theo? Ratliff Theo Ratliff was on that team, I think, yeah. as well, yeah. The problem was they just had no offense. But defensively, they can get after you. But that's also kind balanced. of how they had to build the team because AI was going to shoot. He was all, yep, he was, his, his usage, if usage rate was a thing back then, it was probably in like the 40% range for Allen Iverson. Yeah, so I would, he was at Russ levels of usage with worse efficiency. I always, appreci- gonna, I always appreciated about. Iverson though, because he's my style of player. And I think you guys would agree too, because we're more old school and mentality of, he was just, he was an animal on the court. He always brought it. You never watched the game with Iverson and said, oh, this dude took a, a practice is one thing. Talk about practice. But <laughs> the games, though, uh, just like Russ and like Jordan, a lot of the uh, the alpha guys, they just – it didn't take games off. And you always appreciated that about him. And how, there was a graphic, I think, about him of all the injuries he had. And it was everywhere. And I get, granted, he's he's smaller too, right? So his frame. Yeah, I mean, he was listed at six one. I think there's no way. He's there's absolutely. So I went to um, Hampton University, which is a historically black college in Hampton, Virginia, where Allen Iverson is from. And I would see him all the time because he would just come home all the time. I stood next to the guy. I'm five ten. He couldn't have been an inch taller than me. He he was he was small. He was all of about 175 pounds, but. Um, dynamic athlete. I think a lot of people don't realize that the guy wasn't was, he Mr. Um, Gatorade football of Virginia he, too. He yeah. was a hell of a football player. He's quarterback, yep. right? He sure yeah. was. They, I, I've heard stories about him playing football. If you if you have never seen the thirty for thirty on his story, it's it's terrific. Um, but yeah, the guy was a cultural icon, man. I mean, you know, he I, I have ten tattoos. I mean, he was he was tattoos and in, in, in the braids, and everybody wanted to just look like him. He had the long baggy white t-shirts with the big iced out chains and you know he was a big reason why you know david stern was was he felt threatened yeah i was gonna say i was he was really one of the first unapologetically himself superstars i can remember because he didn't conform to what the media wanted him to be he was this southern black dude who was exactly that he never hid the fact that he was this kind of country black guy who was who was himself People yeah, gravitate that's what I remember. It. Yeah, that's what I remember most about him from back then was how much of a cultural icon he was, you know, on and off the court. Yeah, hell of a player. Happy, happy, happy 40, 45th, right? 45? Happy 45th. I don't know if you guys follow him too on Instagram, but he still looks exactly the same. Like He Does still it? looks like he's 27 years old. That man has not aged. He has not <laughs> like, aged. He's like Pharrell. He's like Pharrell, like yeah. man. Yeah, for Pharrell's another one. He's like, got to be pushing 50. He hasn't aged in 20 years either. Mm-hmm. <sighs> NBA is kicking off, finally. It's back. It's back. Uh, what um, were you guys – I mean, the Bulls aren't in it, I, which Thank I think – all, all, yep, all three of us agree mm-hmm. that it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. What are you guys looking forward to? Um, 
do you have any predictions yet on you, do you guys want to do predictions on, you know, finals and all that stuff right now, or just kind of get into the format and where it's going to I, I think the, the boldest I'll go in terms of prediction is I think the time off, given the style of basketball James Harden plays, you're going to see a rejuvenated James Harden because he takes – he always has the ball. Have you seen and, him recently, though? He's lost. And he's lost uh, a lot of weight. Like 20 pounds, somebody said. I, yeah. I kind of think that I was I was listening to CC Sabathia talk the other day, um, and he brought up some good points. Some guys just need to play chubby, like they just need to play better. They they play better when they when they have some weight on them. And Harden kind of has like that bully ball where he like will dip his body into you and push off. And, and I don't know if that's exactly going to work well for him. Twenty pounds lighter because you know. Lighter isn't always the best thing for some of these guys. CC was talking about how he I mean, needs to fair. stay fat to be a good pitcher. He lost weight and he, he he was not good. And you know, you see LeBron kind of got skinny there and then kind of put some weight back on because you know he, he wanted to to kind of absorb more of that punishment. And I'd be curious to see how that affects James Harden. That's that's a fair point, Russ. Before I get back on my James Harden thought, though, one of my favorite LeBron James things was he was listed at two sixty in Miami. That man was like a donut short of 300 yeah. in Miami. He was – not that he was fat. He was just built. Like, he was he a tank. He but, was – he was bigger probably. Like, people always talk about how built Carl Malone was. I think LeBron was probably – Was probably bigger. Yeah. I think – I mean, we're getting a little bodybuildery with this part of it. I just think Malone's arm muscle insertions are just ridiculous. So, right. it looks a lot better. Right. But I think LeBron was probably every bit as bigger, if not bigger – Mm-hmm. But my, my thing with Harden was the way he, the brand of basketball he plays, the amount he falls, gets to the line, the amount of balls in his hand. We've been what off? They've been off of basketball what, two and a half months now, give or take ish. Like that's a lot of time off for that's a that's an off season for these guys. And I think now I I, I didn't really take into consideration that you know the kind of I saw a Twitter or a tweet probably about a year ago, that said James Harden has the body of a UPS delivery driver. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, that's hilarious, but you might be absolutely right. He might just need to have fat boy game because of the way he plays. He's not like su- I, he's not like super explosive and quick off the bounce. Like, he can get by you not. with, like, suddenness and, and some dribbles and, I, and, and hesitations, but... Absolutely, and I will openly admit, James Harden's one of my favorite NBA players, but... His game, if you're not into iso ball, is not for you. Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of an ugly superstar to watch. He's but that guy think, that James Harden is that that guy that like shows up into the YMCA like after smoking two heaters outside and like he's <laughs> he just like pulls off his tearaway pants and he just starts cooking everybody. And you're like, who the fuck is this dude? Like, what what? You're like, who the, where the fuck this guy come from? That's completely what James Harden is. <laughs> He, he, you see him throw his camel crushes into his bag. He's just all right. Let's go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm with you. But I think the the Rockets could surprise some people just because of the time off and you know him. They, they've got the superstar thing going with him and Russ. And even though you could argue how they fit and whatnot, I think they're they could be pleasantly surprising tonight. I, not which is not saying they're a bad basketball team because they're not. Right. I I want to see how the Clippers look. You know, the Clippers were starting to turn it on a little bit before this whole thing 
uh, wrapped up, but you know, you give Kawhi Leonard all that time off. You give Paul George, who's been injury prone, all that time off. And also, I think most importantly, you give those guys like a month of practice time to kind of like really hone in. And I think the Clippers are going to be the most dangerous team in the NBA to come back because they've got two superstars, they got some crazy defensive players, and you know, if they played, if they had to play like the Lakers or something like that, and, you know, that would have been like 70% Laker fans and Staples and like 30% Clippers fans, but there's no home court advantage in Disney world. It takes it all out. All of a sudden you just throwing the ball out there and playing. I don't know who's going to beat that Clippers team. And, and to your point that even th- they have the two superstar thing and they're two of their three superstars are two of the best, two of the three best two way players in basketball, mm-hmm. Kawhi and Paul George. How do you how, yeah? How do you guys think the lack of home court with the to the uh, the Clippers Lakers argument? How do you think the lack of home court impacts on a level playing field? Do you think it's going to matter that much? Do you think chalk still wins? Do you think some teams are going to benefit a little bit more from the lack of home? I'm weird with home court because I think in college scenario home court matters just way more than it does in the NBA. Because if home court really made that big of a difference. To be honest, even the average Bulls teams would have felt like they were a lot better. The UC's always loud noise has drawn the crowd. The The home court really never played much of an advantage, to my knowledge. And it's not football where you can drown out play calling and make it harder to, you know, get a playoff or audible at the line or completely change everything when you're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, the maybe the minor advantage it would have had is gone, but at the same time, like, Basketball is that is the only sport in the world where your best players can touch the ball every time up and down court. So, who knows? I mean, it's it's an interesting question because it helps a team like Philly. Like Philly sucked on the road like all year, and all of a sudden, you know, there is no road to go on. Everybody's playing in the yeah. same place. Yeah, unless uh, Joel Embiid finds himself in Epcot drinking all the beers of the world. Who do you think – so we're going to have – there's going to be reporters down there, right? Who do you yeah. think just wiles out and just we start hearing stories about them doing stupid shit? Do you think anybody? Or do you think they're going to be, like, so focused on the end goal and they're going to be so quarantined that you're not going to hear any of that stuff? I mean, I can to- I could totally think of James Harden going crazy yeah, in that's, Miami. That's the guy. Or, or are there any, stri- yeah. are there any strip clubs open down there? Was, I was going to say, you didn't even have to go to Miami. There's Is that a central business? <laughs> Is that a central business? Yeah. I mean, didn't he drop – he got his number retired because he spent a million bucks at a strip club? It's crazy. In a night, right? It was like a million bucks in a night or something like that. Oh, my God. That, that Reddit thread. That's of, so much money. <laughs> you guys know about the Reddit thread that investigated him on the road before – Yeah, club. like – Oh, my yeah, God. The fact that someone actually took the time out to, like, <laughs> go to cities with the best strip clubs and, the, and how he performed the next day. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> he got his number retired in the strip club. Oh. For dropping a for dropping a mill in a night. I'd retire his number too. Shit. <laughs> uh, switching so gears a little switching gears a little bit to the to the Bulls. Uh Arturis Karnashovas, he has not been to Chicago yet, correct? No. And so he's planning on coming here. First things first, Ross, since you know a lot about like city neighborhoods. Where would you recommend Karnashovas buys a house? Oh, he's got to. He's a, he's got to go to the West Loop, man. He, I mean, 
It's a short ride to the Advocate Center, to the United Center. Beautiful houses right there. Get a get a nice West Loop condo. I don't even so know. If he, is he married? Yes. Okay, I was gonna say because he, he has would, kids. Uh, I think he has kids too. Oh yeah, no, he's he's absolutely a West Looper. I mean, I was gonna say like I could see Gold Coast even too. Yeah. Like put him in one of those nice high rise condos overlooking the lake. Yeah. That's where he's going to be watching he, film he with seems, Jim Boylan. Yeah, he seems or, like the kind of guy that wants to be close to work. You know, like he wants to. I was going to say, or he's going to go to one of those million dollar condos that just opened up across the street on Madison, so he can just roll out of bed and walk to work. Exactly. Starts working out <laughs> with Zach Levine at three a.m. during really. his shoots. Doesn't uh, Theo do that? Yeah, Epstein lives like in Wrigleyville, doesn't he? Epstein lives like yeah, two blocks from Wrigley, I think. Yeah. Carlos is going to be that guy. <laughs> he's just going to live across the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Walks in. Hello, Jim. Fuck. <laughs> have a little like my, a telescope from his apartment or from his condo looking over to the to the advocate center to see who's like working out and see if the lights are on. Shit. I only need some dollar store binoculars. <laughs> so he's making his way to Chicago and uh, he's he going to be watching. To... He wants, go ahead, Dan, go ahead, man. <laughs> he wants to sit down with Jim Boylan and watch game film. So, uh, I I just have to point this out. Film and basketball matters. It's not like football where, for instance, when Ryan Pace got hired, he sat down and he watched every snap of the Mark Tresman era two or three times. I don't know why you would do that to yourself. You know, would make you want to gouge your eyes out, but he did it. The fact that a VP of basketball operations feels the need to pull an NBA head coach aside and be like, hey, Jimbo, what were you doing here? What's going on in this situation? <laughs> That's not like it's all it feels at least to me, it feels almost like an insult of an of his intelligence. It does. Like, what's, yeah, what's the purpose? What's the point, right? Like that's right. Part- and, and, and here's the thing, like it's part of the reason why I love NBA coaching. Like I used to love Stan Van Gundy, and I still love Stan Van Gundy. I think he should get another head coaching job because it's I think he's criminally underrated for what he does as a coach. But Stan had this great thing when he would when his teams were bad, he wouldn't hide it. He he would straight up tell you the kind of set he was running what went wrong and why it didn't work. There's no secrets in the NBA. Everybody's running the same stuff. It's just a matter of who's running it effectively versus ineffectively and who has the talent to do it. Like, it's like, what is Jim Boylan going to say? Like, hey, Jim, why did you pull a five-for-five five swap when we were down 40? <laughs> who does – who? You're seldom going to see a five-for-five five swap in high school, let alone the NBA. And I know I realize I'm going back to last season, not this current season that's about to restart. But it's just like stuff like that. It's a complete insult to his intelligence, and it's kind of funny. No, it's not. Kind of, it is funny. It's not kind of funny. It is funny. Yeah, you know when I was, um, I used to work for Best Buy, and um, I was a sales manager for Best Buy way back when. And when you were underperforming. Uh, you would have to go to the district office in Downers Grove. You'd have to drive out there. And yeah. the running yeah, the running joke was always, 
uh, don't bring your keys to the store with you to the district office because they might just have you like leave them there and say you're fired. Um, so that was always a joke. They're like they can't fire you if you don't bring your keys with you. And uh, I'm going to tell Jim Borland that when he goes sit down with uh, Karnaschovas, that he probably doesn't want to bring his keys to the Advocate Center with him. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only way that he's going to be able to keep his job. Well, I think the problem is that he's going to be meeting with him at the Advocate Center. Yeah. The, don't bring your keys with you. Have somebody else let you in. <laughs> I wonder what Arturis is going to say about his time clock. He's gonna have it. He's gonna have it in there. He's gonna ask Jim to punch. Is he gonna? Is is, is, I was gonna say is Arturis gonna physically take out his punch card and? Yeah, he's gonna say, "Do you see the zeros that I pay Zach Levine? Why the fuck are you having him punch a time clock, you idiot?" What is he? He's making eighteen point five million dollars a year. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a White Castle. I enjoy just the, the random hourly wage jobs at Ross Bowls from first time it was Home Depot and we got the Home Depot people mad at us. Shout out to White Castles. Those got me through a lot of drunk nights at three o'clock in the morning. True. This is true. A lot of hang a lot of hungover mornings too. Yeah. Eat a crave case from Cra- wake up in Carbondale, Illinois, hungover as hell, and Cape Girardeau's the closest White Castle, oh, time to take a 35-minute road trip. We need White Castles. Maybe Boylan will bring White Castle with him, with the I time don't think clock. Our, I don't, does Arturis eat White Castle? Hell no. There's a video of that dude, like, kicking somebody's ass in MMA training, like, video. He's training <laughs> MMA. Could you imagine that dude is, like, 6'9", like, training MMA? Uh, uh, I can. There is a guy by the name of Stefan Strew who is nicknamed the Skyscraper. I understand that. What I'm saying is, like, could you imagine fighting? Don't, like, for, for me, stupid, if I were to get, don't ask stupid questions, Joe. Well, that's he, stupid he could fight Kendall Gill. Is like Kendall did Gill still do it? He does. Yeah, and Ke- God, I remember there was actually not to get too off topic, but there was a story of Kendall was on the the score. I want to say a few years, a couple of years ago, and they asked him when he got traded to Minnesota from Orlando that I guess Kevin Garnett had the this he had the same shower he always showered in. At Timberwolves game, at Timberwolves home games, and I guess if you were showering in a shower, Kevin would would say something to you or try to like punk you kind of thing. Kendall's always trained; he's a hand, he like he's a trained fighter. And I guess Kendall got there, and you know these guys have reps around the league: good player, bad player, jag players, whatever you want to call Jeff, jag, whatever they are. But Kendall had that reputation as someone who. You know, he, he'll throw with you. And I guess – I don't want to get the story too wrong if I am misremembering, but I, it was something along the lines of Kevin Garnett did not say anything to Kendall Gill. And I remember the, the, the exact quote following the story was, yeah, there's basketball tough and then there's tough tough. <laughs> All right, Kendall. <laughs> Crazy person. I'd love to hear KG tell that story too mm-hmm. because that dude can well, tell the best KG story is Joe Kim Noah's. He's just a mean person. I mean, that's the most infamous one, right? But the best that's, one is... That's the best one. He's just a mean person. Because it's like a, it's how an eight-year-old gets. He's just mean. Uh, I wish that was Joe Kim Noah. I think uh, the Bulls should do like a content thing with uh, Karnaschovas and Boylan meeting. 
like have the camera in the room with him as he's like breaking down. Like I, it's going to be embarrassing. Like the only, uh, Ross, I'll kick it to you on this one. Like the only way you, you do this is what are you trying to do? Are you trying to dress him down? Are you trying to embarrass him? Are you trying to, I, I just don't really understand the point other than, to solidify maybe your decision, or maybe he is willing to give Boylan a fair chance to explain what he was doing in his process. That could be, that could be it too, to be honest with you. Maybe. And I think that's, I think that's exactly courtesy. Yeah. I I think that's, I I think Karnaschovas is a good guy. I think he also recognizes that the reputation in Chicago during the Garpax era was, um, they didn't have the best reputation for players as we know, but also for coaches too. I I mean, they treated, you know, look, the, the Vinny Del Negro thing, the Scott Skiles thing, the Fred Hoiberg thing, you know, guys like that. Um, Refresh my memory. What was the Skiles thing? Was it firing him on Christmas Eve? Was that yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. I thought I thought it was like all the different, like, because I know he grabbed Del Negro by the tie. Yep. For playing for uh, playing Derek Rose too much, right? Oh, my God. Even <laughs> even even Tibbs, right? You know, How Tibbs... am I still a fan? Why? How? <laughs> even That's Tibbs. Tibbs, Tibbs went out, you know, not not well. So I think the reputation around the league probably. Oh yeah, because they noses. had that. Ry- they had the Reinsdorf statement too for, for yeah. Tibbs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the rep around the league right now with coaches probably like, look, man, these guys treat coaches like shit, and so I think Karnaschovas is trying to give him the benefit of the doubt before he lets him go, but he's also trying to mend some relationships around the league because you're going to need to to you know as we we talk about the names, you know, Adrian Griffin and and. Emmy Udoka, and they're also going to have to build their staffs out and stuff like that. And you're going to want good quality coaches to come to your organization. So you have to, uh, you know, show, show, show some good face. So maybe I guess my question is then Ross, is it more a show in good face and good faith? Maybe that, you know, I'm giving him a fair chance, but in all reality, it's not a fair chance. It's just kind of the window dressing behind it. I think it's more like a respect factor. Like, look, I, I, I may not like what you do as a coach, but I'm going to respect okay. you as a person. And uh, I could see that actually. Yeah. I could see that. Cause initially my, my, my initial inclination when Joe posed the question to you was it was a complete window dressing. Like, Oh, we're doing this for the, it was, it's, uh, what's the old term, the dog and pony show. Like, mm-hmm. like, Hey, I'm showing you that I'm doing this, but in all reality, I have no intention of actually retaining. Do you think it's a favor to, like if, if Cowley's reporting is accurate about Reinsdorf and, and Pax wanting to keep boiling on, do you think it's a favor to them as well? To 100%. ownership? 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I don't think the first thing you want to do is if the, if they like this guy, I think the last thing you want to do in probably his world is fire him mercilessly. And you also, you know, you need to go back to the Reinsdorf and say, look, I watched tape with this guy here in my notes. Here's what we talked about. He is completely fucking clueless. Like you need to just like give them even more proof beyond what we've already seen. Right. And say like this, we don't share the same vision. We don't do this. I don't like the way he did this, this, and this. And so, then they're like, okay. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if you guys have seen the movie. It's, it's, a, it's a children's movie. It's called the kid with Bruce Willis in the Disney movie where he runs into his younger self, but he thinks he's hallucinating. And he goes to a, a, I forget the term, with a psychoanalyst that can write prescriptions. So it's a psychiatrist, I believe, can write the prescriptions for you. So he goes to a psychiatrist to be written a drug for hallucinations. And the psychiatrist has never really 
she's asking him questions, but she's never really reciprocating in the conversation. She's going, oh, I see, with her notepad. And this is how I'm picturing this meeting go. <laughs> they have the film up on the big whiteboard. It's playing off the, the overhead or the, the uh, projector. And, oh, I see. <laughs> it's just him writing, not actually reciprocating and in, in t- taking place in conversation. And Jim just starts fumbling over himself. This is how I'm picturing this going. Starts writing like question marks, like five different question marks next to a statement, or like what the fuck. Or <laughs> she just starts doodling in his notepad while while Boylan's talking. Oh my god, Jim, uh, why, why do you keep settling for long twos? Uh, I don't know. When you instinctively told uh, Zach Levine not to do that and to take more threes, and Kobe White too. Uh, switching gears. To our last topic, uh, Ross kind of touched on it. Uh, Ime Adoka and Adrian Griffin sound like, as of right now, could change. The two front runners for the head coaching gig. Uh, for those who don't know, Udoka has connections to Mark Eversley from Philly. Udoka is one. I think he's the top paid assistant coach in the NBA right now. I would. I think that's what I read as well. Yeah. So he works under Brett Brown, and uh, Adrian Griffin is. And he, uh, Nick Nurse's he, top assistant and, in and he, Toronto. And for those who don't know, Ime Uduka also coached under Greg Popovich. Popovich disciple. Popovich an actual, An actual Popovich disciple. Hey, Boylan was with him for two years, all right? He played there, too. He played He played under Pop, too. Played for Pop, yep. He was a little three-and-day wing they had. Yeah. So where are you guys? I mean, I think, again, this is consensus for us. We would be happy with either. Uh, do you have a preference between, let's say, hypothetically, those two are the finalists? Do you have a preference between those two? Myself, I don't. I want them to pick. If those are, say, those are the two finalists for whatever reason, I'm sure they're going to interview upwards of eight candidates if I had to put a number on it. But I think, and I'm not trying to do a disservice to Adrian Griffin when I say this. I think they might in a way be steered away from him for fear of nepotism because Adrian played for the Bulls, not once, but twice. He had two different stints here in Chicago. He coached with Thibs. He like, it's, it's a very strange thing. And they have all these, these ties of guys they've drafted the Iowa state connection. The, like, could you imagine like the Bulls universe if say they got the eighth pick in the draft, they hire Adrian Griffin and they draft Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Can you imagine the eruption from from the Chicago fan base that and that it would cause? And I, I'm not saying that Adrian Griffin would be a bad bad hire. It's quite the contrary. I think he's cut his teeth. He's paid his dues. He's coached under good coaches and Thibs and now Nick Nurse. But. I think there might be, whether they admit it or not, some sort of underlying fear of nepotism and the fear of going back to the same well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm out of my, my own little island with that thought process, but that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, you know, I think we want a complete fresh start, and I do like Adrian Griffin as a coach, and, and I think he's a good guy, but I think he kind of carries over some of that stink a little bit from the last regime um and it kind of will 
will kind of signal to some people like, oh, you're just signing or you're just bringing a guy that you feel comfortable with. It's the kind of the same old, same old. Um, but I, I trust Karnaschovas to, to, to talk to them both and, and get a feel for, for what their vision will be, you know, with the, with the organization, with the team. I'm a, I'm a Yudoka guy. I'm a Yudoka fan. I, I, I'm shocked that he hasn't gotten the chance yet in the NBA I, to be a head coach. I am as well. Um, but I, I, I think that he would uh, – I think he'd do well in Chicago. And, look, I, I, I'm trying to, like, also do that – read the tea leaves too, right? So you take Eversley from Philly, and maybe you can get Yudoka from Philly as well. And then what follows after that? I want one of those superstars. Yes, I want one of those superstars from Philly. Give me one. Chestnut checkers, right? I I mean, and let's just, I mean, I'm sure Ross knows, but he also brings some uh, eye candy with him. Oh. And and Nia Long. Nia Long is beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, just ageless. Speaking of ageless. Yeah, speaking of ageless, she's what, 50, 49, 50 years old? She's she's up there, but yeah. Yeah. That that matters. And, it's just not a knock against Adrian Griffin. Udoka, Udoka feels like he has a swagger about him and, and a presence about him. And I'm not saying Griffin doesn't. I'm just on the surface from the, watching. The other thing that I think I, – I brought up they might interview upwards of eight candidates. The other thing I think we can't put past him is I wouldn't be shocked if they interview a Becky Hammond. I don't think he's afraid of maybe going out on that limb if she were to come in and just blow him away. They should interview her. They oh, they absolutely should. She's one of the best assistants in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Man or woman, it doesn't matter. I, for me, the woman thing doesn't even matter. It's it's she's she feels like she's qualified for the job. And wasn't like, she pop- like a W? Isn't she a WNBA legend? Like she's got clout. She was a hell of a player. Yes. yes. Pop glows about her, and there were, she coached a summer league team, and she did really well there. I know it's summer league, but still, she showed that she could command a team in a locker room, and. Yeah, she feels like she's one of the guys. That's the, that's the thing for me. And I'm not trying to knock the advancement, the like progressive aspect of women in sports. It's just for her, it feels like her being a woman is on the, on the periphery of her being like extremely qualified to be a head coach. It's her being a woman on top of it is like the icing on the cake for me personally. That's how I see it. And I don't mean that to come off it's, as disrespectful. It's, get, it's, it's just, getting the right person for the job, not trying to – Right, that's not, what I was getting not, Yeah, not trying to make a press headline. And she seems like she's legit, and she's got clout, and more than qualified to at least get an interview. A. Well, she's been with, what has she been with Pop now for four years? Four or five yeah. years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if she were to get the job, she's obviously cut her teeth and earned her earned her stripes doing it. Like, yeah, she's been a Spurs assistant coach since 2014, so six years now, going on seven, and she was voted one of the WNBA top 15 players of all time. So she was better than even than I thought. She's got that Diana Taurasi vibe about her where, where when Diana speaks, it's like, she's an alpha. Like she, like you don't you see, she's obviously one, but she's a ball player. And that's how Hammond's always come across to me. She's a ball player. She's a coach. She knows the game. And that's the most important requisite for who you're going to bring in to coach. And yeah, hell yeah. I would definitely give her a shot and at least now it's not going to be that the bulls have handpicked fred hoiberg for a year and a half you know that they've got him lined up and they're not going to interview anybody else it's going to be a thorough search process they're going to do their due diligence and they're going to get somebody who's qualified and i'm open and like i trust karnashovas neversley i think until they give us a reason not to trust them i think you trust them 
And that's kind of where I'm at with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, boys, let's uh, get to the final question. And my question is going to tie into the Karnaschovas and Jim Boylan film session. If you were Karnaschova or if you were a GM or you had a, you had a chance to pick an hour session to sit down and watch film with any living or dead player or coach, who would you pick and why? Like who would you want to sit down there with for an hour and just talk ball and watch film? Bill Russell. Uh, Bill Russell. Oh, I mean, yeah, yes, Bill Russell did coach, didn't he? Why Russell, Russ? I think Bill Russell is um, – He first of all, he wrote a whole book on leadership, which is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. Um, the guy is extremely smart and intelligent on a wide variety of topics, not just basketball. Um, and I think he's a person who has seen it all. He saw – He's seen every great superstar in this league ever. Um, he's seen Wilt Chamberlain himself all the way through, through the Jordan years, LeBron. Um, and the guy has won a shit ton of titles. I, you know, look, people don't, when people talk about the greatest players of all time, they randomly forget Bill Russell. He needs to be in your top five. He needs to be in your top five. The guy was just, he was that dominant of a player, but he sacrificed his game so much for his team to win. And I just want to, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with him. To, to, to Russell disagree. real quick, there's a video of him. And there's not a lot of video of the older guys, but there's a video of him taking the ball from end to end. He's like a deer. Like he's a, he was a freak athlete. People mm-hmm. don't understand how athletic that man was. And it, it, he looked like a current NBA player, mm-hmm. like, like a rim runner. And he, I think he almost jumped from the free throw line and threw it down. I was like, mm-hmm. Holy shit. That's all. That's a great answer. Russ. How about you, Dan? Um, so, it sounds weird because the coach I'm honestly leaning towards doesn't have anything to his name other than seven, you know, seven seconds or less. You know, like I'm honestly leaning towards Dan Tony. Like I, I, I played with the idea of pop because for me, for my money, and I know it's sacrilege with guys like Red Auerbach and Phil, Phil Jackson, for me, Pop is the best coach to ever do it. He's the best basketball coach to ever set foot on the sidelines. But for, it's not because, like, oh, his Spurs teams were boring, and they were. But it's – I think with the way the NBA has gone, to me, D'Antoni reinvented the wheel for the NBA. He was doing things in the mid-2000s nobody else was doing get to the basket or shoot a three and get the first shot um it's funny because you you talk about d'antoni um a guy that i've heard before on other podcasts who are who's terrific to listen to is steve nash who's you know the guy who was the 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 conductor of that 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 offense that was so great and steve nash is just another great guy to hear listen talk about ball and huge soccer fan as well and, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, D'Antoni would be fun. Yeah. Um, that's that, that was my first one just because D'Antoni is such a, I think he coached overseas and he brought that style over. And when he got Steve Nash and had Sean Marion, who was one of the first guys I can remember guarding two, three and four and running the floor at that size. Mm-hmm. And then there was Amare and there was, you know, Raja Bell and 
Leandro Barbosa and all the names go on and on and Steve Nash being the catalyst for that. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that for me is like, I think he'd be fascinating to listen to in a sense to what inspired him to bring that style over here and why did he think it would work? So I guess, yeah, D'Antoni for me is the, is, is the guy. The other one I played around with, even though I'm not entirely sure his coach, he coached was uh, Jerry West. Yeah, that was another one. Yep, I was thinking about that too. That that Suns team in their prime, they should have beat the Spurs that one year where, where there's a fight, right? Steve Nash uh, got chucked into the boards and Amari came off the bench. Robert Ory. Robert Ory hip, yep, hip checked Steve Nash. Like game uh, into five. The bench. Game five. Yep, absolutely. And Amari came like two two feet off the bench. And yeah, he got suspended. And uh, but the, the the Suns were absolutely the best team in the league that year. They sh- they they would have won the NBA title if the, uh, if Amari Stoudemire does not get suspended, which is ridiculous. He took two steps and walked back mm-hmm. to the bench, Correct. and they suspended him for for Game Six. And they dropped Game Six, and Game Seven happened. And mm-hmm. man, the what ifs, right? Yeah, the what ifs. I, I was trying to think of a name that wasn't Michael Jordan or Phil Jackson, just because that's an easy choice. Um, I don't. I, mean, t- I go Larry Bird. I go Larry Bird. Larry's a good one. Just be, Bird's a good one. For the you guys are talking about like Stan Van Gundy, right, and AI and their authenticity. Larry's always been himself. And I think just hearing the stories about him versus Magic and against the bad boys and playing against Jordan and extremely smart head coach, good per you no know, front office guy. And I think you'd get just uh I don't want to say a rural vibe from him, but just a very down to earth vibe from him to talk about you know what it was like to play magic and having uh, the black versus white right the the la versus boston and that dynamic and what it was like to live in that and seeing the game grow and watching jordan and i just i would love to pick his mind and how confident he was and because he's also got the best all-star weekends all-star game weekend story in the locker room or on the floor of any one i've ever heard basically who's finishing second right who's coming in he walks into the locker room he goes i don't know who's finishing second tonight guys but well, there was a story, too, of, like, uh, he was playing somebody. I forget who it was. And uh, the guy was, like, challenging him. And Larry made a shot, came back down, dude was talking shit. And Larry goes, I'm going to hit that shot from right there again. I'm gonna, and, he, and he did it right, for, right from that spot. He just drained it on him. So the shit talk that I think would be fun to get in with him. and Because I, I, for the Ross brought up about Bill Russell, I'm not saying Larry Bird gets forgotten. It's just he's so much more than the shooter. And we talked about it before. He was a passer. He was a playmaker. His vision it's, and anticipation, like watching his highlights, he was incredible. He's absolutely, he was, he was magic. Like on the, not magic, magic, but you know what I'm saying. Like, that's actually a conversation I've had with my buddy Marcel before about Larry and magic and everything. It's like, um, you don't realize how similar those two were in terms of game until you really sit down and watch them. They played different roles, but they had different, they similar skill sets. played different roles, but they were very similar as a player. So those guys right. both saved the NBA. The NBA was in a disaster before those guys showed up and, and created that iconic rivalry that, that just, you know, kind of made way for the Jordans and, and Isaiah and, and then the new stars. But the NBA was a complete shit show up until uh, Larry and Magic showed up. Well, we have another historically that's its own complete shit show and – screwing themselves right now but we're not going to go too far into that i have no idea who you're talking about we're just going to skip past his name 
Uh, so that's going to be it for us in episode six. <laughs> no, I just, uh, we wanted to keep this one short and sweet. I think we went about yeah. 40 minutes on this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our shortest show, we did a good job. We kept it on time. Usually when we say we're going to go a certain length on topics, we end up going like double or triple the amount of a lot of time on that. So we do our best. We do our best. That is our slogan. That should be our, that should be the three alpha slogan. We do our best. Often very good. Sometimes very bad. <laughs> uh, so that's it for us before we uh, go another five minutes talking nonsense. I'm Joe. That's Ross. That's Dan. We are the three alphas. Yes. And we'll catch y'all <laughs> next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. The inbounds pass <laughs> comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! They win it! Michael Jordan hits it at the foul line. One to 100. Lead pass. Whoa! Stop it! Stop it! Don't let do him like that! What are you doing, Dragic? Did you not get the memo? Derrick Rose can go upstairs. I want to go higher! Oh, my goodness, Rose. Rose crosses over the fadeaway. Pass deflected, stolen by Noah. Noah on the runway. Noah with the right hand and done. Counted the foul. I don't believe what I just saw. Here comes Chicago. 17 seconds. 17 seconds from game seven or from championship number six. Jordan. Open. Chicago with the lead. The Chicago Bulls have won their sixth. NBA championship.